And back with another edition of The Real Money Show. The number you know, one eight seven seven eight silver guildhallwealthcom A little later on the show, we'll be talking to a gentleman named Mike Larson, senior analyst at Weiss Ratings. But a lot to get to before that, including uh, some updates and some news, what's going on in the markets with gold and silver and, of course, natural fancy-colored diamonds. Always part of the show. Jeremy, how are you, pal? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's been a, another really busy week at Guildhall. Yep. Uh, we talked uh, last week that um, we've had one of our largest weeks of gold selling. And uh, in other words, people buying gold. Yes. And we continue to see investors taking advantage of the gold market at these current prices. And I think today, let's start off by talking about uh, the Federal Reserve raising interest rates. Okay. Uh, they did it a whole quarter point, uh, big, big deal. Um, and uh, we just want to remind people that ultimately looking back to what happened in 2008, that interest rates were in the 6% range. Okay. So we are a far cry from normalcy in the interest rate environment. And uh, most of the analysts out there are saying that they know that the Fed is trying to raise interest rates, maybe another few quarter point raises over the next year and a half. And you have... Um, you know, you're starting to see analysts come to the forefront saying, there's a recession coming. And wow. the more the interest rates go up, uh, you know, the more you risk popping that bubble. And so I think the Fed is still continuing to be on that tight wire rope of trying to raise rates without bursting the bubble. And I think as we go throughout the show, we'll definitely talk about what are those aspects because back in 2008, it was subprime, it was real estate. Today, there's so many more bubbles that can burst, which is why they, there's that the, the term that's been coined, which is the everything bubble. So we'll right. definitely be talking about that throughout the show. Do you think it's the mindset of the average consumer? Oh, it's a quarter point. That's ah, a quarter point. Yeah, but if you do that six or seven times, yeah, uh, you know, it that's, gets there eventually, like as you referred to 2007, 2008, right? Yeah, I think that that one in, in the United States, um, you know, I have uh, family through my in laws in the States, and we have conversations. And not only are their health care costs through the roof, they're actually higher than when Obama was in office. Wow. But now with the trade wars, they're paying a lot more for a lot of different goods, right. and now interest rates are rising. So it's a it's a tough situation for them to be in. And when you think in, in Canada, I'm sure they're going to continue to raise rates slowly as well. And you have to think about the real estate, uh, the state of the real estate market and wonder, okay, how many people are... Uh, on their flex mortgages, and if the mar if interest rates go up uh, half a point, yeah. what is that going to do to the the regular income? And I know that personally, just because you sit there and you wonder, well, the bank just is willing to lend a whole lot of money, money that okay, that would mean not going out for dinners, right? That would yeah, mean yeah, no kidding. That would mean if gas prices go up much more, you know, those payments could be a, a struggle. So um, there could be people who get hurt in in that type of investment. And then I think as well. There's this overall arcing feeling in the markets that, hey, the, the stock market's been going really well for quite long time. a very long time. How much is this interest rate policy going to have an effect on that? And I think one of the aspects that it's going to really have that effect is, is uh, uh, corporate debt, mm -hmm. right? Companies have been borrowing money on the cheap, right? It's been a credit cycle, buying their own stock, pushing the stock market up 
well, you're not going to borrow more money at a higher interest rate. And now you're going to have to pay back those right. those loans at higher interest rates. Yeah. So what does that start to do? It certainly starts to say that the credit cycle will tighten. The Fed is doing that. Can they engineer a soft landing? Most people out there say no. I mean, Ray Dalio, uh, one of the largest hedge fund uh, heads of a hedge fund, says no. And more people are following suit to say the same thing, that give it a year, give it a year and a half, maybe two years tops, and that recession's coming. So you have to ask yourself, stock markets are at all-time highs, real estates are at all-time highs, tech is at all-time highs, gold and silver are incredibly undervalued, and savvy investors are saying, well, yeah, you want to buy things when they're when they're cheap. Yep. That's your hedge, right? At, at 100%. And are people hedging enough now? No, which is the reason why you do the show every week, <laughs> right? Wake well, up. Well, we believe that, that people should have physical assets in yep. their portfolio. And it's not just gold and silver. It's also natural fancy colored diamonds. Uh, when you look at the natural fancy colored diamond market, there have been times where uh, the di- the diamond market, if you had the right diamond, you doubled your money in less than five years. Um, the market ha- leveled off a little bit over the last couple of years, but now you're starting to see a spark of the market moving up again um, at the type of speeds that we saw um, you know, eight, nine years ago. And one in particular is a pink diamond, which we'll talk about in the pink segment, which uh, went at auction and, and just blasted through what they expected to receive. So natural fancy colored diamonds, the right diamond can definitely be a great way to protect wealth, grow wealth. And it's it's all about getting things at the right price. And it's the mindset. I know we do diamonds a little later on the show, but the whole mindset with the diamond is it's 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 not a daily watch. You grab it and you think long term. It's like, you know, look back when your kids are going to college when you bought the the diamond when they were a baby and yeah. look at where it is now. That's the mindset you need, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can remember uh, being able to, I had clients who were buying intense yellow, internally flawless diamonds for under $15,000. Oh, those days are long gone. Those days are long gone. Long gone. You, you would be very lucky if you could get it in the mid-20s at yeah. this point. Um, and that's within a decade. So, you know, look, th- there are fast investments out there, investments where you have to be quite nimble. When you look at the cryptocurrencies, you look at pot stocks, you have to be nimble with those because you don't, the question is, are you really doing your research, right? And when it comes to a natural fancy colored diamond, you really only have to understand what quality is because at the end of the day, quality is rarity. Rarity equals uh, cost of doing business. It's valuable. And that's what's going to make the money down the road. And so. being nimble, you've got to be really savvy. You've got to be really educated in that stuff to make any money. For for the investor that we're talking to here, this is a perfect thing for them. Gold and silver, you get it, you buy it, you hang on to it. Same with a diamond. It doesn't take any homework. You don't have to be Gordon Gecko. You know what I mean? Like you could just make money with it and just relax with it. Yeah, I I, I think that's a strong point. I, I personally do believe that if you can make 20% a year on your portfolio and you're good at it and you can work without a safety net, right. then have you, at her. You, yeah, yeah, you don't really need physical precious metals or assets. Although if there is a banking crisis, um, your money's seized up and it, it all it all but disappears. Right. So, I mean, even in, in the States over the last week, the Verizon network went completely down, right? So there are times where maybe it's nice to have wealth where you can see it, feel it, and touch it and know that it's there. And I think more and more people realize that as well. Look, there's a theme of... You know, the banks in, in 2008 didn't get punished for what they did. And the mm-hmm. and the Fed bailed them out. And hey, 
uh, like you said, all the power to them. They got they got bailed out. Lots of central bankers got raises and right. got got stronger positions. But at the end of the day, the credit cycle started. Easing happened, low interest rates, tons of money. People start speculating. They start making things easy. Everything seems easy until it's not. And I think there are the signs out there that that time is changing rapidly. one 877 silver the number, guildhallwealth.com to start the conversation at least. If not, get on it and uh, and start investing. What else you got going on? Yeah, so you know, one of the things we have is that um, – the e-store is becoming more popular way to sure get into the market. Mm-hmm. And that's really for people who, two things. One, you want to get a feel for how this works. You want to pick up a small amount of product, like a 10-ounce bar of silver, let's say, or a kilo bar of silver, you know, an ounce of gold. You go online, guildhallpreciousmetals.com. Pricing is very competitive. Uh, we add the service. We make sure it gets to you. We send you a tracking number along uh, so that you can follow your package. And, of course, the the payments are getting easier and easier. Yeah. Interact payments. Um, we use e-transfers, um, bill payment, debit, those type of things. So it's pretty easy to make that transaction these days and a great way to get the product in your hand. And then the other reason what's great about that is you can book the price on your terms. So there are people who want to watch the price a little bit. Mm-hmm. It does fluctuate, you know, and, and everyone starts to see their own patterns. Um, or just like uh, me, for instance, I, you know, I like where gold is right now. But if it dips into the 1190s, I can pick up some for my clients. And so if you're watching the e-store, you know that you can log on, book that price, and it's done, right? Um, look, at the end of the day, people are at work, but they're also on their computers. Yeah. So have that Guildhall Precious Metals uh, website open all day so that you can watch the price and and make sure that you grab it at the right time. And really, the e-store is the only thing e about it. This is physical metal we're talking about here. It's not paper. That's right. right? It's physical product. You take delivery of it. You can can, uh, book the price, come to the office, and pick up your product. Beautiful. And then we also have a feature on that for people who want to store the product. So let's say you have over 500 ounces of silver and you don't want to store that yourself at home and you don't want to necessarily have that at the banks. And I was having a conversation with a client where we were comparing safety deposit box versus having having silver at the storage vault, an independent facility. And uh, it was not much different. So to be able to have the liquidity of picking up the phone and buy and sell on a phone call, um, that's it can work out to be a, a lot of money in your back in your pocket. Yeah. But uh, we do have the option on the e-store that you can book your price and have it delivered to the vault and that's your amazing. your account at the vault versus just taking it home. And you can go and you can visit there. You can uh, you can audit your uh, your holdings as well at the vault. Yeah. Yeah. There's this picture that always uh, that always floats around mm. the gold and silver industry of the queen um, at the London vault, looking at all her supposed gold. Nice. And uh, I I always want to send a picture of my client with their face on it because ultimately that's what it is. It's yeah. you going to the vault and looking at your gold. You know, the queen has her gold and her jewels. Let's make sure you have your gold and your jewels yeah, right. and you can go and visit it too. And there are there are packages for those who are just breaking in or the more senior uh, investor who's been used to it, right? Yeah, we- Accommodations? We, yeah, we accommodate all all types at Guildhall. Yeah. We have the, the client who's getting in for the first time, maybe they're buying a, a, a couple coins for their kids or for a wedding anniversary, things like this, and then all the way up to the major investor who is looking to secure their wealth um, with 
a real hard asset and make sure that they're out of harm's way of of paper assets falling. And and as we talked about, the stock market is quite overvalued at this point. We'll take a a short break. The number is simple if you don't know it by now, 1-877-8-SILVER and guildhallwealth.com. Real Money Show rolling onward right here at Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. And back with more Real Money Show, one eight seven seven eight silver and guildhallwealth.com. Go to the website, check it out, and give the e-store a shot. It could be possibly the simplest way for you to get uh, physical metals into your account. You can do it in your house coat and slippers. That is just how simple it is. I'm uh, going to bounce over to our interview. As mentioned, uh, Mike Larson here, Senior Analyst at Weiss Ratings and editor of Weiss's Safe Money Report and Under the Radar Stocks newsletter. Been on uh, CNBC, CNN, Bloomberg, and Fox, Business Network, and all over the place. Welcome to the show. Uh, Mike, take it away, Jeremy. We uh, got exposed to you at uh, the Money Show in Toronto um, a couple weeks ago, and uh, you did a seminar there and just wanted to see how that show worked for you. Sure. It, it was a great opportunity to be in Toronto. Um, I was supposed to go last year as well, but we had a little visit from a hurricane down here and uh, the appearance got canceled. So much better weather this time around. Um, I think it's interesting to, to be speaking on gold in a time of rising interest rates. And that was obviously the focus of my presentation because traditionally uh, it, it's not a great time for gold investing. But I think that in terms of where we are this cycle, that could be a real, a real different environment. I mean, you know, people are pretty familiar with some of the struggles that gold's had. We'd have some pressure due to the, the increase in the U.S. dollar's value, um, some reduced demand from emerging markets, some questions about mine supply rising, and economic downturns in places like China. Uh, you throw in U.S. interest rates, and it's one of those environments that's been a little bit challenging for gold. But I think one of the, the, the areas or one of the reasons that I'm, I'm more positive on gold now than I think I've been in quite some time is the risk of volatility, chaos. I look at, at gold as almost mayhem insurance, if you will, in this kind of environment where we've had an extremely low volatility market. We've had a lot of, of, of credit market excess, excess borrowing, lending, and so on, encouraged by cheap, easy money. But I think that we're starting to see um, more and more of you know cracks behind the facade in terms of the stock market and in terms of uh, potential economic risk down the road. So in all of those uh, those things going on, this is, to me is a great time to be investing in gold simply for protection, portfolio insurance. Um, if you look at, at charts of volatility in gold going back several years, uh, they look very similar. Gold prices generally coming down as well as volatility coming down. But I believe in the January-February time frame, we started to see volatility snap into a new higher range. And even with the S&P hitting a new high here, volatility has not dropped back into that suppressed range it was in in 2017. And I think that's the market telling you something. I think that investors are realizing this environment's different with the Fed hiking interest rates and some more of these, um, the, you know, these ter- this turmoil appearing, appearing behind the scenes and things like emerging markets. It's definitely an environment that's going to be more conducive to investing in gold. Yeah, I think it it was great to see uh, someone like yourself as well. You know, you're you're, an, you're you are an editor. You do your own writing as well, and uh, you know, you do cover the the gamut of investing in different stocks, and and so you do have your your hands in in different pots and whatnot. And I I think it's great to see someone who is saying, look, I'm looking at everything. And we have to admit what's actually happening and look at, at the precious metals as well. Was Is there something indicating to you uh, that you believe, you know, something specific that you're looking at in terms of your indicators that you believe the price of gold is headed much, much higher? 
Sure, sure. I mean, and you're right. I'm a generalist when it comes to the gold market. I'm not a gold bug per se. I'm not someone who whose background is in minor mining research and things like that. It's more uh, interest rates and, and financial markets and what impact they can have on on gold overall. So that's where I come at this, and and I think that's how you have to look at the gold market in this environment. Um, with that being said, I think that. Again, it goes back to sort of the the cracks that we're seeing in the facade. I mean, we've been, in terms of the stock market, we've been in in a record-long bull market run here in the United States. Um, And obviously, world markets up until recently have been pretty strong as well. Um, We've seen, you know, the the greatest uh, wave of of quantitative easing from central banks worldwide. We've seen the longest period of interest rates being pegged to the floor. And all of that served to suppress volatility. Uh, You had an environment where um, the Fed was basically, and other central banks were very much behind the asset markets. They had the asset markets back. But with the Fed beginning to raise interest rates, I mean, we've had eight interest rate hikes to date so far, uh, with the Canadian Central Bank and some of the other central banks around the world either dialing back on QE or also raising interest rates, it's bringing us, it's ushering us into a new era of volatility. Again, if you look at the, the market in 2017, we have never had as long of a stretch of, of low volatility readings in history. There's never been as many days that the VIX, the volatility index, was under 10 uh, in all of market history as there was in 2017. So people didn't need insurance. People didn't need safety. They were more than willing to speculate on everything from technology stocks uh, to higher risk IPOs and all these other um, all these other types of investments. But as we transition out of that market and into a more volatile era where you know different countries are going in different directions in terms of growth, in terms of monetary policy, interest rates, and so on, um, I couldn't think of a better environment for having some insurance and safety in your portfolio than right now. And I think gold really does fit the bill. You, you asked for which particular markets might stand out. Again, I looked at something like the, the VIX here where you, know, you were under that, that 10 level in single digits for such a long period of time. When we had the initial market turmoil in January and February, VIX soared as high as 50. Now, it's back down to the low teens, but it hasn't dropped back into that old range. And also, if you look at credit spreads, risk spreads in the bond market, you're seeing the difference between um, treasury interest rates and interest rates on things like corporate bonds. They've, um, they've basically been widening out, um, generally widening out from January, uh, the pre-January levels. So even though the stock market itself is near all-time highs and, and hit all-time highs, the credit markets are starting to you know, sniff out signs of, of more trouble ahead. And the volatility market it seems to be doing the same thing. So you add that all together and you've got to say, you know, what behind the scenes is not lining up um, for the equity market and what may be lining up for gold. And that's, um, that's what I'm seeing out there. Yeah, that's a that's a, a a vast diagnosis there. Looking at lots of different points, um, we're talking about interest rates, and we were actually mentioning interest rates um, in the, in our first segment because in we, we know that after the dot com bubble and after nine eleven, Greenspan lowered interest rates, but he managed to get them back up to six percent. Um, you know, by two thousand seven, and you know when Bernanke took over. That's when they dropped all the way down to zero. And here we are, two, two and a quarter, two and a half. Do you think that they can get up to some sort of semblance of that? Or is this volatility that you're seeing in all these other aspects, um, you know, putting a, a limit on where they can get to before the next recession happens? 
Sure. If you look at the history of interest rate hiking and cutting cycles over the last few decades, uh, the peaks for interest rates have gotten lower and the depths for interest rates have gotten lower as well. So, um, you know, it's been this stair-stepping pattern over, over several years where when the Fed hikes, it doesn't get quite as high as it did in the previous hiking cycle. And when it cuts, it gets much lower than it did in the previous cutting cycle. Um, what's noteworthy about this cycle here is, you know, I went back and, and studied the five major interest rate cycles going back to the mid 19 the 1970s here in the U.S., okay. uh, and we had interest rates pegged near 0% for 84 months, uh, which is the longest by far on average in those cycles before rates started to go up. They were only held at those lows for around 11 months. Uh, this rate hiking cycle has already stretched out to about 33 months. On average, the cycles lasted 22 months. And we've seen, you know, that the magnitude of the interest rate hikes, it's been about 200 basis points so far. On average, it's more than 500. So um, I think you have a valid point there. I think the level at which the Fed begins to break the markets, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. is going to be lower than it was in the past. I mean, every time we have one of these Fed cycles, uh, especially in the last two, where you know we had this dot-com bubble and bust that the Fed then tried to cure with 1% interest rates and, and its version of easy money then, that helped lead to a massive housing bubble. Uh, when that popped, we ended up with 0% interest rates for a record-long period of time. Now you have asset valuations on everything from many stocks to high-risk bonds to commercial and residential real estate. I mean, Toronto is a prime example of where we've seen a huge run-up in real estate prices and speculative activity. Um, You add it all together, and you've got a real risk that the Fed's going to get to a point where where something breaks, and it breaks sooner than we've had in the past. And again, that, that just speaks to the need to have some insurance and safety, especially because we're already eight hikes into this cycle. Um, you know, that, that's quite a bit, even though it still overall it has not mirrored the total level of interest rate hikes we had in the past. Uh, it's definitely far enough into the cycle that you have to start looking for insurance and, and some things that are going to you know, position you defensively uh, for when things start to turn, turn awry. And I think that that's probably not too far off. And again, that's why I like gold here. And uh, I want to go back to something you said earlier before we sort of touch on, on gold for our listeners is that you were talking about that you know eventually this does start to unwind there's lots of volatility in different places and uh, I want to bring in two two sort of points here one is that uh, you know we've interviewed Nomi Prinz in the past she wrote a book collusion just talking about how in 2008 you know, basically Bernanke got a bunch of central bankers to go along with this plan of just printing tons of money lowering interest rates etc but there was a recent article that came out um, with um, Gordon Brown, the former uh, finance minister of England and obviously prime minister of England. And he was basically saying that, look, in the next crisis, these people aren't going to get together. They're actually going to blame each other. They're going to start pointing fingers going, well, who's to blame for all of this because I'm not taking the blame anymore and I'm not going to help. Do you think that that's sort of part of part and parcel of what you're seeing with that, you know, the VIX and all and the bonds and this sort of outward at the fringe volatility that you know, the MSM doesn't really want to talk about. Sure. I'm, you know, I, that collusion, first of all, by Nomi Prince was a fantastic book. I actually uh, read it on my trip out to San Francisco for a previous investor conference. Uh, great read there. And I think that, that she and you are, are, are definitely onto something there when you look at the cooperation. I mean, you know, you had these, all these late night conference calls. You had Ben Bernanke and, and other central bankers on the phone with, you know, you know Europe, central banks in Europe and, and Asia and so on. And they, they were definitely all pulling at, you know, kind of pulling at the, uh, the markets in the same direction. 
election because everybody was in the same boat. But when you look at, at the election of President Trump and some of the things that he's done uh, to basically increasingly isolate the U.S., when you look at some of the other things, uh, you know, where we are in different points in the economic and credit cycle in different countries, um, everybody's not in the same boat as before, number one. And number two, you've had a big increase in sort of populism and anti, you know, uh, the, you know anti-traditional traditionalist or, or multinational cooperation uh, in many countries, not just here in the United States, but in, place, in parts of Europe and elsewhere. So that's definitely going to make it harder. I mean, I can't even imagine if, if the banking sector collapsed tomorrow, what would happen uh, if the Treasury, sec- <laughs> Treasury Secretary went to uh, Congress and tried to ask for $800 billion in TARP bailout money. I mean, you know, the population wouldn't stand for it. The, the legislators wouldn't stand for it. It's a completely different environment than we had, um, you know, in the mid-2000s or 2007-2008 crisis. So definitely there's less of a safety net out there, number one. And number two, there's less of an ability to, to finance bailouts. I mean, one of the main reasons why uh, government and central banks were able to sort of arrest the, the collapse, even after so much damage had been done, is that there was balance sheet room to do it. Um, but now, not just in the U.S., but in Japan and Europe and elsewhere around the world, uh, debt-to-GDP ratios are sky high. Uh, governments are running massive deficits. I mean, here in the U.S., uh, you're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars of deficits as far as the eye can see. So that, that sort of balance sheet capacity, the ability to just you know borrow and spend to bail the economy and the banks out, isn't there now like it was more than 10 years ago. So yes, it's the political willpower, I think, is increasingly lacking, and the financial ability to launch massive bailouts, I think, is lacking increasingly now versus a decade ago. Yeah, I, I well, obviously, I, I do completely agree with you. And I think that in sort of the Keynesian approach, you haven't seen any of these debts come down during a time where apparently the economy is so fantastic, you know, where is the Fed actually paying off its or, you know, paying down its balance sheet? And it's just not happening. So what happens when the next crisis hits? Uh, You know, I think we're we're reaching, in my personal opinion, reaching max complacency, where people are just like, well, nothing's happened yet. So it probably won't happen. But uh, (laughs) exactly, exactly. And that's, that's the real risk. I mean, that's it right there. Mike, we're going to get you to uh, hang on for a moment there. Jeremy, you as well. In the meantime, the number one eight seven seven eight silver guildhallwealthcom You want to go there, start investing either the East or a reminder, you get a gram of gold with every 5000 US invested in an RSP account. Again, guildhallwealth.com for more details. More Real Money Show, more with uh, Mike Larson coming up. Hang on, this is Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Real Money Show, the number one eight seven seven eight silverguildhallwealthcom If you're just joining us, we'll continue with Mike Larson here from Weiss Ratings. Mike, uh, continue. Go ahead, guys. So let's talk a little bit about gold and, and silver market, because in your presentation, you actually covered the topic of shorting in the gold market. And uh, we've recently discussed that. Well, we've discussed that at length on the Real Money Show here. And uh, s- certainly in the news recently was that JP Morgan all but abandoned their record short position in silver. So just for our listeners and uh, just getting your point of view, can you explain the significance of shorts in the gold market, silver market, and what your opinion is of how impacting shorting might be on the gold price? Sure. Well, if you look at, at sort of net positioning in gold futures, some of the data that you have here in, in the U.S. Um, tracking the gold market, um, we actually, as of summer of 2018, had the highest level of net shorts in the gold market that we've seen from hedge funds and sort of the speculators in the market than there's ever been. I mean, the data I have goes back to the mid-2000s. 
Um, and we've, it's certainly unprecedented in terms of the, the, the net short position. And what's interesting is in late 2015, we had what was then considered a record short position. Uh, and it, you know, it got unwound in a hurry. As a matter of fact, gold, the gold price alone surged about 30, 31% um, after that then record net pos uh, short position was hit. And now here we are where there's about twice as many shorts in the market versus there were then. So, you know, it's not a one-to-one -one correlation. It doesn't mean that gold's going to rise twice as much from here, but it does signal that a lot of people are leaning the same way in the gold market. So any positive headline, any development that sort of questions the short thesis for gold could lead to a very large, very quick move in the opposite direction. And it's also worth noting, and I had this slide in the presentation, that you had a 13-week stretch recently where bullion-backed ETF holdings actually declined. So the ETFs right. were, were you know, seeing declining gold. And that was the longest stretch that we had seen there since August 2013. And if we put on sort of our history hats, what happened back in the summer of 2013, that's when the Fed was uh, first talking about tapering its balance sheet, and you had the quote-unquote taper tantrum that Bernanke set off. Mm -hmm. So I think you're in a situation now where you have a lot of people leaning in the same direction at a time where there's a real catalyst, meaning increased volatility and sort of turmoil in the markets, that uh, could give you a fundamental argument for gold again. So I think when you combine positioning with fundamental, a fundamental turn there, I think it's a very powerful mix, and we just need something to kind of set that off. And I think as an investor, you know, you don't really want to wait till that happens because gold's going to be moving quickly. Now's the time to buy on the cheap. So, and then speaking of buying on the cheap, you know, clearly you've, you've studied all aspects of the market. You're looking at, at, at many different routes and how to invest. Have you ever seen anything that is this undervalued at this point? No, I mean, when you look at, at, at where gold is, is trading relative to other assets, stocks, and, and all kinds of things, I mean, you know, I mentioned earlier and in the presentation, I talked about this concept of an Uber bubble, where you have massive asset inflation in everything from stocks to high-risk bonds to commercial and residential real estate to these esoteric things. I mean, I've, I've done some research on it, and you have everything from the value of a National Football League team to baseball cards to artwork that's kind of gone through the roof here due to all this easy money. Yet you've had gold that has relatively underperformed. And I think that that's a situation where um, as these other sort of component bubbles really run into trouble and begin to pop, um, you know, you have to look for something that's undervalued. You have to look for someplace to, to you know, put your money and someplace to buy safety. And again, I think that all argues and makes a stronger case for gold as that kind of safety uh, hedge, that volatility hedge, and, and an investment that is not radically overvalued, unlike so many other investments that are out there to choose from. And uh, lastly, I know I know we got to let you go, but um, lastly, I know in your presentation you were discussing the ratios, uh, gold to silver ratio and whatnot. Um, do you see eventually that ratio coming further in line with its historic norm? Sure. I mean, you have a, a gold-silver ratio that was recently up around the 80 level. Um, and when that's happened in the past, I mean, you go back and chart this and, and you look at historical times where we've been up around these levels, it's really around 2003 when the precious metals market was coming out of that long bear stretch. It's around 2009 at the depths of the credit crisis. And from there, uh, precious metals obviously performed very well. And the only other time really that we've gotten close is kind of in that 2000, early 2016, late 2015 time frame. And as I mentioned, we were discussing the short positions that's when gold radically took off then. So again, you know, just from a valuation standpoint, from sort of a gold-silver ratio standpoint, and from a market positioning standpoint, I mean, all of these, these things are, are at very extreme levels. So that doesn't mean that we're going to wake up and gold tomorrow is going to go up 50 or $100, but it does mean that you're buying an, a, a deeply undervalued asset at a time when there's a real fundamental catalyst 
and at a time where sentiment is so negative that you potentially have the, the, the catalyst for a very sharp, very large move. So, uh, again, you know, sentiment, fundamentals, technicals, it all kinds of, kind of lines up here, uh, which is why I think this is a, a time, you know, if you don't have gold in your portfolio already, certainly it's a time to add some. And if you already do have, now is a good time to be increasing the size of that position. Well, Mike Larson, it's been a, a pleasure talking to you. Um, I really enjoy your point of view, uh, looking at where you're doing your research. Now, we, we want to follow you here at Guild at Guildhall and The Real Money Show. We want to get our listeners to start following you. And, you know, not just gold and silver, but the other aspects of the market, because you do, uh, you know, tend to have some recommendations and uh, everyone that you're, you know, the writers that you're editing as well. So how do people get in touch with you? Where do they find uh, what you're up to? Sure, absolutely. Um, they can go to www.weissratings.com, W-E-I-S-S ratings.com. Uh, my firm's been involved in the markets in one form or another uh, since the mid-1970s. Our firm actually tracks and rates uh, stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, uh, tens of thousands of them when you add in all the mutual fund classes. Uh, and as you mentioned, we do cover not just uh, what's going on in the gold and silver market, but also what's going on in bonds, stocks, and other uh, investments. So if they go to that website at Weiss Ratings, they can get signed up for a free email newsletter that we send out um, every morning kind of explains what's going on in the markets and gives our perspective that's a great place to start out and then if they're interested in some of the subscription services we offer I have the safe money report that I've been with for a number of years and, and that's probably a good you know a good place to get sort of an overview on the markets um, get my take on gold but also what's going on in different parts of the stock market so uh, definitely encourage people to check it out if they have some time excellent Mike Larson definitely you have to come back to the show soon Perfect. Thank you. My pleasure. We'll speak to you soon. He's a cool cat. Yeah, man. That guy could speak fast and like... We could do a whole show with him. He's got chops. He knows his stuff for sure. And it's stuff you've been echoing for for a long time, right? Yeah. Advising how to get into the market. Simplest way. What do I do? Well, I know what to do. I'm just saying it as a listener. What do I do? Well, the first thing is that we just make sure that we do the physical product. Yeah. I think that number one... You know, you you don't want to own gold in paper version. We were at the Money Show um, when we met Mike, and a lot of people at the Money Show are they're all about the stocks. It's all about swing trades and how to get money fast and watching the market really quick. And we would we would tell people, and it would kind of create the paradigm shift. We'd say, if you need insurance for your house, do you buy a stock? No, you actually have exactly. to go out and get, get the real thing. And um, you know. Price can always be an issue as well, but ultimately you get what you pay for. Um, and uh, we're really competitive on price at Guildhall, but you know um, you don't want to wait. I think the key here is that the earlier you get in, the lower the price of gold you get in, yep. and the better you do long term. Understand that across the industry, there's you know it's like when I buy a an Apple computer. It doesn't matter if I buy it at Apple or I go to like the office supply Stables store, or Staples, whatever. whatever. Yeah. It's the same. Yep. It's the same. It's same with the cell phone. I can go anywhere. Cell phone's the same price. I'm not going to get uh, much better. Um, although we are competitive and I notice across the board when we're comparing across different sites that sometimes we beat our competitors really handily. Sometimes we have to match prices. Mm-hmm. Um, if there it happens to be a situation where we absolutely can't, uh, for whatever reason, because maybe they're doing, um, you know, maybe they're just making it a loss leader, is sure. what, how they call it. Um, we say, look, go buy as much as you possibly can. You, you tip my hat, right? Someone, yeah. you know, um, you made the impossible goal, tip your hat, right? Yep. So uh, there's that. But 
generally, it's all about physical. You have to have the physical, 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 physical. Storing physical product is not a big deal. It really isn't. I, I think that's the biggest barrier to entry in this People market. People get lazy in that regard, right? Something else to lift or yeah. have in physical. They shouldn't be. That's the way you want to have it. No, and I, I think that I think that it's a recipe to be taken advantage of in this market. I notice that there's a lot of companies out there that store product for clients on a quote-unquote one-to-one basis, mm-hmm. which means that they don't actually own that product and they never actually paid the premium to own that product. So when the time comes that they want to take delivery of that product, if they decided that, you get the runaround. You get the you get the 40-week delivery wait. No. Um, you know, nice. what, whatever it is, no. you just... you you. That's where the complaints about the market start to come in because right. they never owned it in the first place. Um, you know, maybe one day Guildhall can get to a point where it says, "Look, we'll make it really easy for you to buy online, store it. You never have to see it, never have to touch it. But here are the numbers anyway." Yep. Uh, to me, that is the key to the whole industry: is are there serial numbers, and can I touch it? And if I can't touch it, then I don't own it. I had uh, someone contact me this morning who was wanted to hold physical. Well, he wanted to hold silver in his TFSA because uh, he wanted to trade it actively. And uh, I said straight straight away, I said, "Look, the ETF might be the better route, um, or you know, some other fund or or whatever it is where it's not physical, mm-hmm. where you don't own it physically, so that you can make those trades." Holding it otherwise is a long term a long term thing. Long term meaning, I think in my RSP, John, I'm down eighteen twenty percent on my silver. Honestly, and okay. I just and I keep buying. Yep, of course you would. Um, because it doesn't matter if I bought it at eighteen or seventeen or fourteen fifty here. The fact is, is I know, I know. I've studied this market for ten years. I know this market's going to take off, and I know when it goes. I'm going to sit there saying, I wish I bought more. Yeah. So instead of getting greedy when it happens, I just buy regular basis. Cost I put average. the money, I put the money that I put away on a monthly and just that's, that's what I've allocated to it. You don't wait. I've always said this on the show. I'm the listeners are probably bored of it, but you don't wait till the gaslight goes on to finally say, I better get some gas. And yeah. you, you find out that Oh, because this happened to me a couple of weeks ago, that the gas station didn't have premium. Oops. Two gas stations. So I, I'm getting down to like the last kilometer, right? And no one wants to be there. And plus, understand that the longer you wait, the the higher the price you're going to pay. Because not only is the price risen, but the premiums have gone up because and there's less product available. Panic. Right now you're more of a state of panic, so you got to buy. And and try doing that in an RSP when you want to do a transfer from right. a made, you know, from your current financial institution to who we work with Questrade. Right. That takes 3 weeks. And when this market takes off, we've seen what can happen in a month. You know, you can just see what what's happened in a month in on the on the downside. Yeah. Silver's gone from, I don't know, 16 down to 14.30 type of thing. Um, that can reverse really quick. So be prepared for that. At least get the account started. And at Guildhall, for every 5,000 US invested, you get one gram of gold. I mean, that covers all the little incidentals in the right. market, plus you're getting gold back as well. Um, it, it just doesn't get, it, it will not get to look much better than this right now. We'll take a short break and get into it. Uh, the other side of this investment, which we love, that's natural fancy colored diamonds. Uh, Guildhallwealth.com, the website, the number, of course, one eight seven seven eight silver It's a real money show, Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
The number, as you know, one eight seven seven eight silver real money show rolls on guildhallwealth.com. Uh, reminder as well, one uh, gram of gold with every $5,000 U.S. invested in an RSP account with Guildhall. More details, call the number, go to the website, and get on it. We love this last segment, always my favorite of the show, uh, where we talk about natural fancy colored diamonds. You've got a, a phenomenal story, a real story about a pink diamond. Yeah, it's it's been a little while since we've had uh, auction talk yeah, on right. uh, the Money Show, but uh, here it is. We're gonna do some auction talk. There was um, recently it actually the gavel fell yesterday at uh, Bonhams in London, and there was a five point zero three fancy pink VS one uh, that was uh, up for auction. Now I was looking at the GIA report on this, and size excluded. Everything about this diamond is is something that we would have at Guildhall right. in terms of uh, the clarity of the diamond, um, the shape of the diamond, how well it was shaped, etc. Understand that this pink diamond, it's a, a square cut, um, which is pretty rare in, in in terms in those terms. But understand that most pink diamonds are way under two carats. You just don't yeah, see diamonds ones. that are are large in that respect. So again, this is a fancy, it's not a vivid, it's not an intense, it's a fancy, but it's a pure pink fancy. What does that mean? It means that in, in the diamond market, you don't want to hear unattractive colors come into the, into the mix. You right. don't want to hear brown. No. <laughs> okay? You don't want to hear brown pink. You don't want to hear gray pink. You want to hear pink pink. You want to hear... Uh, Reddish pink maybe? or uh... Well, if you hear red... You better uh, you better call your accountant and see how much you have in the yeah. bank because uh, at that point you have an accountant that you ask <laughs> how much money do I have so that's uh, when you hear the word red but uh, this is a fancy pink um, and uh, again VS one clarity most pinks aren't going to be uh, really good clarity most of them are in the SII it's the nature of it right it's the nature of the yep. business because they tend to be small you don't want to cut out those inclusions and end up with a diamond that that is worthless, yep. right? You have to have all five, all four all four carat uh, C's uh, be part of that journey. Okay. So in this case, um, it was going to go up for what well, went up. The auctioneer valued the stone at approximately a little under eight hundred thousand to a million, <laughs> which was basically six hundred to eight hundred thousand pounds. pounds. Okay. Um, so the auction closed yesterday, and uh, it went for not. 800,000 pounds, but 2.2 million pounds. Crazy. And that translates to about uh, 288 million US. Did I say that right? 2.88 million million US dollars for that diamond. That's about 572,000 a carat. So that is going to start leading the way. Why are we talking about this diamond that most people can't buy? Because this is number one. Diamonds at auction are a last resort. When we spoke with Eden Rachmanoff and you know, we, we look at the, the industry, we know that most deals happen behind closed doors. If you're going to an auction house, there's a lot of expense there. Um, you know, they can probably get some good exposure, but you're right. no longer working within the relationships gotcha. and the connections that, that the dealers have. So um, it, it can be a last resort. So they tend to not... They might break record at auction, but auction prices are even higher sometimes outside okay. the auction world. So that's a significant thing. But for the listeners, what that means is you're starting to see 
that the prices will continue to rise in the the diamond market and values for diamonds in particular are going to continue to rise. This article, uh, both the Bonhams article and the Rappaport piece on this particular diamond, again, a five carat uh, (sighs) fancy pink VS Clarity diamond is basically talking what we've been doing on the show. Just, you know, talking about the fact that pink diamonds originally came from India, um, a long, long time ago, you know, a hundred years ago plus, then Brazil, and all of a sudden, late 70s, early 80s, Argyle Mine came, and lo and behold, they were uh, producing 90% of the world pink, but that's a trickle. It's just an absolute yeah. trickle of what's of the availability, so it's not like there was a gush of pink diamonds, and now, of course, that, that mine is slated to close in 2020, so what's an investor to do? You got to get one in your portfolio. And if you're thinking long term, these type of auctions show you that when someone's willing to spend, you know, uh, just under three million dollars for a diamond, that uh, they're willing to put put real money in, into this market. And so, now this wasn't an argyle. This was a pink, but not an argyle. It's not an argyle, which is even more insane. Yeah, it, look, it, that that says a lot. It it yeah. says either that that diamond is a recut. And the argyle engraving was was uh, cut out of the stone okay. to create whatever they have. That can happen, or it means that the diamond came from from somewhere else. Like it could have come from Brazil or or India, for that matter. So you you just don't know. But such a rare rare piece, and and congratulations to the to the the new owner of that. Now there's an even bigger diamond pink diamond going up for auction it's actually an 18.96 it's called the pink legacy and it was owned by the it it, it belonged to the oppenheimer family it's a legacy diamond it's a legacy diamond we've Mm -hmm. heard that name before they they are the previous owners of uh de beers and it's the largest fancy vivid pink christie's has ever auctioned so Watch the just shy of 19 karat vivid pink diamond. I didn't think that was like, we just got over saying pinks are generally not of enormous size. That seems incredible. It is, and th- those are why these type of auctions are under such a spotlight. That this will, you know, this type of diamond will probably end up on a report on Bloomberg type of thing because these diamonds just don't come to auction. I mean, how many, how many diamonds pink diamonds have we talked about on the show that were over 10 carat none you know maybe one so you just don't see those but for the investor who's looking for a way to not only protect wealth but to grow their wealth long term you have to consider a natural fancy color diamond and it does not have to be a pink it can certainly be something like a yellow you just have to make sure that what you're buying is of the absolute highest quality and at guildhall we're always looking for those type of diamonds and when we find them as you said earlier john we do snap them up if we see you know a green diamond that is under half a carat and it happens to be vs quality and it looks amazing it's not just good on paper we will snap that up because they just don't come along we we probably have maybe a couple greens a year and they usually sell within a month um, because collectors want to grab those type of diamonds and that's an interesting diamond overall and how they get their color Um, but yellow diamonds you know there was a there you know we look back 10 years there was a time where yellow diamonds were doubling in five years six years depending on what you had and uh, they have continued to to move up gently in the market and i think that as we're seeing these auctions happen now john i think we're starting to see 
the beginning of another upleg in this market. As we saw at the beginning of the 2000s, a major upleg in, in colored diamonds. I think we're starting to see the beginnings of that again. And we look at our reports through the Fancy Color Research Foundation, and we're seeing the reports coming in on the index quarterly that these diamonds are starting to make a move again. Just remember that every decade, there's some sort of major crisis, whether it's the savings and loans in the 70s, uh, or sorry, the 80s, you had the dot-com in the 90s, you had the subprime in the 2000s. Diamonds just don't fall in value the way you see uh, in the stock market. In fact, they don't lose value at all. Uh, if you have a vivid yellow, that didn't go down in value. And and let's say it did. You would not have sold it if it dropped in value right, because you're looking at a long-term hold. And so you're saying, well, I'll wait until the prices move back up, which is why the prices have never fallen because they just people would just simply put them at the back of the safe. And so right. they just don't come out of hiding. And therefore that lack of supply, and they're rare to begin with. Um, a vivid yellow, radiant cut, 50 a year between one and no three kidding. carats. That's it. That's it. Now, how many of those are one carat and how many of those have a great shape, right? Yeah. A square cut, not too rectangular, right? Not too deep. A diamond could be deep and internally flawless. A diamond could be shallow and internally flawless. But how do you get that right diamond? This is not complicated. Okay. <laughs> Buying a house is complicated. Much worse. A real estate investment is complicated. Bigger headache, right? A stock. Yeah. If you're not just throwing the dice, if you're not just throwing chips on the table saying, I'll buy that, I have a hunch, okay, stocks are difficult. You got to read the books. You got to know what the numbers are, how viable a company is, what's the management looking like, right? That is not easy. That is a lot of work, right? They, you you have to have degrees for that in many so cases. So tell me tell me what happens when I come to you and I'm looking at a diamond. I can't. Well, I have to physically be there, obviously, right? Yeah. So um, really easy. You know, first of all, we we do want to work within the right budget, and maybe part of that um, part of that discussion is finding what the right budget is, right? Knowing what can you put away that you will not have to worry about for the next 10, 15, 20 years, if ever so that you can give this dime, diamond enough time to really show you some incredible results. And what do I mean by that? I want our investors to look back and say, I paid a pittance. And that has right. happened in this market. I don't want them to say, well, you know, four years ago I paid this and now I can get this. It's okay. It's okay. Like, no. But that's not the winner's mentality. The winner's mentality is to think long-term and let that diamond do the work. And like you said, you don't have to watch it. So part of it might be to find what the budget is. Secondly, once you, I think you've established that, look at anything that we have and start to pick out what feels right for you because you want to enjoy the diamond at the same time and, and inevitably something will jump out at you. Um, every diamond that we have, we own. We've put our skin in the game. We've gone out and invested in it ourselves. We believe in that product and we know how much they continue to rise. So it's a great uh, consultation to have. It's great to be able to look at those diamonds as well and start to understand the different shapes, the facets, the different uh, different types of color that a, a yellow can have, the different types of colors a pink can have. And that's why I would say probably about half of the clientele that we have do become multiple uh, investors and yep. collectors in the natural fancy color diamond. So give us a call. Definitely take a look at the website, and uh, we look forward to showing you some of the product. 
Done for another week. Nicely done. Got to thank Mike Larson again of WeissRatings.com. That's W-E-I-S-S Ratings.com. Good to have him on the show. And contact is always one eight seven seven eight silver guildhallwealthcom And a reminder, every hour you will receive a gram of gold with every $5,000 U.S. invested in an RSP account. Guildhallwealth.com for lots more details. Till next time, Real Money Show right here. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.